Um, do you have a Bible open uh, before you? We'll help you to follow along. Uh, when my boss, uh, Mark, told me that I was preaching on this passage, I wondered why he'd given me so many parables all at once. Uh, because often we can hear a sermon on each of those four parables that we just heard read. Uh, but as I spent time, uh, I did as I was told, as I spent time working with these parables, dwelling on them, uh, I was reminded of being in a wonderful place with a wonderful person. Um, next slide, thanks. When I was nine, I went with my French grandmother, my mummy, to the Chateau de Versailles. I don't know if you've ever been, but it is an impressive place. Next slide, thanks. And click again. And as a nine-year-old, I was yay high, and this was just a wonderful day with my grandmother. Um, I spoke to her on WhatsApp yesterday. I was getting a bit teary. I told her about this day that we had together in Versailles, and it was just so incredible. Um, she was this wonderful tour guide telling me about all the history, all the banquet halls, the staircases, who lived there, who got executed nearby, the revolution, the whole history of France kind of in this place she gave me. I had my own personal tour guide. And uh, with the gardens that you can see a glimpse of there, you have to imagine King's Park but twice the size and everything is carefully laid out and manicured. It really is massive. It's so, so impressive. And these parables that we have before us this morning, they are, they are big parables. They, there is so much in them that we just don't have time to cover all. And parables are wonderful because Jesus is inviting us to enter into this sort of picture, very picture-strong world and to visualize sort of somewhat abstract concepts about God in visual, rememberable uh, ways we can remember. And so we have these wonderful parables taught to us by the wonderful Lord Jesus. Uh, we don't have time to see everything in them today, but if we are listening, we can expect to learn more about his kingdom, uh, the kind of king that he is, and the kind of people uh, he calls to be his disciples and what that looks like in practice. Uh, in verse 11, he tells his disciples... To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything comes in parables. Uh, we only understand these parables with Jesus. If we are far from him, if we don't sit at his feet to listen to him, his parables will always remain a mystery. But with him, we can see Jesus all the more, all the more wonderfully. Uh, I wonder when the last time you read uh, Prince Caspian was. Uh, maybe you've not read it. It's part of the Chronicles of Narnia. And there's this wonderful moment in it where Lucy, who's maybe seven years old, she hasn't seen Aslan in a while. Uh, Aslan's a lion, by the way. Uh, but when she sees Aslan, she says, Aslan, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. The more time we spend with Jesus, the greater he will become to us in our eyes. Uh, so with the next prayer on the screen, 
I invite you to pray with me uh, that we might be taught by Jesus this morning. And please join in. Lord Jesus, teach us from your parables. Give us ears to hear your word and hearts to accept your word so that in obedience to you we might bear fruit for the glory of your holy name. Amen. Uh, just by way of context, uh, this is a one-off sermon from Mark. Uh, these parables in Mark appear at a time when people are beginning to see and understand that Jesus is saying he is more than a teacher, more than a healer, more than an exorcist. He's in fact claiming to be the Messiah, God's chosen king, meaning he has come to establish God's kingdom. And for the disciples, this truth is slowly dawning upon them that Jesus is they first thought he was this big, and then they realized he was this big, and then they realized they don't have the categories for understanding who Jesus is. He is God who has come in the flesh. And this is a slow revelation, slow dawning and realization uh, that we see take place throughout Mark's gospel. Now, these parables that Mark has given us aren't all the parables Jesus gave, but he's, Mark has carefully chosen these ones so that we might see that what begins with Jesus will become something great. From Jesus, from this one man, will come a harvest of disciples, a kingdom of God that only God could have brought about. Well, the first of the four parables is the parable of the sower. Um, next slide, thanks. And now, the usual sermon on this parable focuses on the soil, the soils being the listeners and how receptive the listener you are. So 20 years ago at St. Jude's in Carlton, I still remember a sermon by Richard Condy about uh, what kind of soil are you? What kind of listener are you? He kept on asking throughout the sermon. Are you the indifferent listener, the shallow listener, the enthusiastic but then disillusioned listener? Or the patient listener ready to receive God's word? Which soil are you? Now, I, I will leave you with that question to ponder, uh, because today I want us to focus on the sower. Now, is anyone here from a farming background? Any farmers? Any gardeners? Not really, not me. I've, no, some gardeners, yeah. Now, at first glance, when you read this passage, you could conclude that the, the sower is incredibly careless. Why does he sow seed everywhere? I mean, who sows seed onto a path or onto a rocky ground or even where there are weeds? Why would you sow seed there? Now, that is a cynical reading of this parable. Especially when you recall Jesus and what you see of him in Mark's gospel. He's always good. He's always gracious. He's always in command of every situation that he finds himself in. And he never speaks a word out of place. He never forgets a detail. It's, we cannot conclude Jesus is likening himself to a careless sower. So why is Jesus likening himself to this sower who sows everywhere? Well, I think we can th see two things about him. The fact that Jesus is the sower who sows everywhere shows us how lavish and generous he is. 
He isn't Ebenezer Scrooge who hoards his wealth and only invests in the people who will give him a greater return. Jesus has incredible wealth and he sows it far and wide, even to those he knows will refuse him. He is generous, he is lavish, he is full of grace and truth, and he sows his word far and wide to all. We also see that he is a sower who knows precisely what he is doing. I mean, look at the result. Like three lots of seed fall onto fruitless soil, but the seed that falls onto good soil produces an amazing phenomenal crop. Uh, now, I mentioned my gardening skills are very limited. Uh, I can mow lawns and I can prune trees, though my wife does have to give me very clear instructions not to go past a certain point because I usually end up going right down to the trunk. But I do know that one single seed producing a hundredfold crop is amazing. And that's what Jesus says some of the seed does. And just think, Jesus was right, because here we are 2,000 years later, on the other side of the world, still listening to the Lord Jesus' word. Isn't that incredible? Some, I mean, imagine you had been living in his day, and somebody had said, oh, well, Hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, millions of people all across the world are going to be worshipping this guy standing in front of you talking about these parables. <laughs> You'd have been laughed at. You'd have been mocked. That's how Christians were treated from day one. Why do you follow this man? And yet here we are. Jesus is still continuing to bring people to himself. His word keeps bearing fruit he knows what he is doing, and he is so generous. Um, the French emperor Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, after he'd been exiled, he was no longer emperor, he was sent into exile, he wrote some really amazing things about the Lord Jesus. And this is what he said about how Jesus was building his empire. Uh, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I myself have founded great empires, but upon what did these creations of our genius depend? Upon force. Jesus alone founded his, his empire upon love, and to this very day millions will die for him. I have inspired multitudes with such an enthusiastic devotion that they would have died for me. But to do this, it was necessary that I should be visibly present with the electric influence of my looks, my words, of my voice. When I saw men and spoke to them, I lighted up the flame of self-devotion in their hearts. It's very modest, isn't he? <laughs> but, but Napoleon did influence people, didn't he? He had an empire. It was huge. I mean, most of um, Paris was flattened so that he could install his Champs-Élysées and all those massive monuments that we enjoy. Anyway, he, Napoleon goes on. Christ alone has succeeded in so raising the mind of man towards the unseen to make a demand which is beyond all others difficult to satisfy. He asks, he asks for that which a philosopher seeks in vain from his friend or father of his children or bride of her spouse or man of his brother. He asks for the human heart. He will have it entirely to himself. He demands it unconditionally and forthwith 
his demand is granted. Wonderful. In defiance of time and space, the soul of man, with all its powers and faculties, becomes an annexation to the empire of Christ. Napoleon is right. Jesus Christ captures the human heart, and in doing so, he is growing his empire, his kingdom of God. A kingdom marked by his generosity and that he knows exactly what he is doing. Well, next we go on to the parable of the lamp. Thank you. Now, in first century Palestine, the way that you brought light into a room was with these little clay lamps. Uh, there was a bit of oil, there was a wick, and you lit it and you'd bring it in. Nowadays, we just use our phones to find the keys and so on. Now, there's something in Jesus' parable that I wouldn't have picked up on uh, without the help of a commentary. It's not obvious to us in our translation, but in the original Greek, the lamp is not something you bring into the room. Rather, the lamp is personified and it comes to you. So not, is a lamp brought in by you to be put under a basket or up on a lampstand? But instead... Does the lamp come to you so he might be placed under the bowl or under the bed and not instead on the lampstand? Can you hear the difference that makes? Jesus is alluding himself to the lamp or in John's gospel to the light of the world who has come to the disciple. And how will the disciple respond to him who is the light? Will they hide him under the bed somewhere, tuck him away in their life, or will they put him up on the lampstand to shine? Now, when I read this, I was really challenged because I was thinking about my witnessing to others, and I realized that I had not been letting Jesus shine forth in my life. There were opportunities I could have taken to speak about Jesus or to um, try and engage with someone about him, but I'd been hesitating to because I was afraid of how they would respond or I would assume that they would reject me if I mentioned God or Jesus or anything of the sort. So I've been asking God to help me, to speak for him, to shine for him, and he's given me opportunities to do so. Um, I've gotten to know the names of the staff at a local cafe. Um, one of the Barista's there, Jessie. I discovered her favorite film is Jurassic Park, and I said, that's my favorite film too. And, and, then I, and then I was thinking about it, and there's so many ways that we could go from Jurassic Park to the gospel. Um, no, there are. <laughs> oh, here's one, here's one. Um, Jurassic Park, yeah, they, they create dinosaurs because they think they can control dinosaurs. They can play God. That, there's also a line in the film that picks up on that. We can't play God. Things always go wrong. And the movie shows that things always go wrong. And that's how Jurassic Park 2, 3, and the recent Jurassic Park movies go. We can play God. No, we can't. They all go wrong. We need God. We're not God. I've yet to get to that point in that conversation. But it's a good starting point. Um, what I find helps, just this is an aside, which I hope might be helpful to you, is I try and do three things. I first try and connect with a person to find out their name, introduce myself, laugh about something, discover a shared joy. 
Um, then I try and communicate something about being a Christian or God. Sometimes the conversation just falls flat, but sometimes it doesn't, um, which surprises me when it shouldn't, always. And then lastly, I look for ways to carry on the conversation. If I know their name, it's much easier to do so. Um, you might be in the workplace. You might be able to do this longer term. If you're just meeting somebody once and you know you probably won't see them again, just go for it. You've got nothing to lose. But you might make a real difference in getting them to think, I need to, I need to look into who Jesus is. I need to find out more about him. Where's my local church? Who knows? Uh, that might be something that happens. You plant a seed and let the, leave them with God. Let the growth with God. Uh, that's what you can do. And now, at this point, you might be thinking, oh, but I'm not qualified to share the gospel. I don't know where to start. I always get the wrong words. I say the wrong things. What do I do? Well, you and I are in good company because the next parable uh, that Jesus gives us is perfect for encouraging anyone to be scattering his seed. Um, next slide, thank you. Anyone can scatter seed. Now, if you compare this parable of the scatterer with the sower, you start to notice some differences. The sower is a sower. He knows what he's doing. He's got a farming background and so on. But the scatterer, they don't really have a method. I mean, since when is scattering a method? Just a bit here, a bit there, maybe a bit here too. Who knows? But the term that Jesus uses for anyone or someone scatters seed could mean a man, a woman, a girl, a boy, whatever background they might come from, rich or poor. So that means that Jesus is saying anyone, like anyone can scatter his word far and wide. You don't have to be a qualified professional. He doesn't say a scholar or a teacher or somebody who's done Bible college scatter seed, but anyone, any of his disciples scatters seed. I mean, it's really wonderful when, listen to the parable again, the kingdom of God is as if someone, anyone, would chuck seed on the ground. And then they would go and sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. They have no clue how. And yet, the earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. And when the grain is ripe, at once they go in with their sickle, because the harvest has come. They're to scatter, to chuck seed, to chuck God's word far and wide and leave the growth with God. Uh, has anyone ever grown something accidentally? <laughs> well, when my wife Liz and I were in Rockingham, we managed to grow this amazing cherry tomato plant by accident. It was not of our doing. I think we'd had cherry tomatoes one evening. The seeds had ended up in the compost. Several months later, the compost had gone to the garden. And then a few months later, there was this cherry tomato plant coming up. We went away on holiday and we come back and there was this amazing harvest of burst-in-your-mouth cherry tomatoes. 
it was, we had nothing to do with it. <laughs> it just happened. We just happened to be eating the seed and to put it on the ground. But the soil produced this wonderful plant which we got to enjoy as well. I think we can forget that God can take our words and our actions, little things we might be conscious of, some things we might be unconscious of, and God can use those little things to plant seeds into other people. We can forget that actually as we go out in his name, as we seek to honor him, as we seek to praise him, even when we get things wrong by accident or we say the wrong thing, we think, oh, yeah, I did it again. God is able to use our faults, our flaws, and our obedience to bring about great things. Then maybe there's someone who once said something to you and you were just like, I've got to find out more about Jesus. And you never saw them again. God can use little things to shape and bring his word to someone and we leave the growth to God. I love how in the parable, the person who scatters seed, they just scatter the seed, and then they go to sleep, and they wake up, and they go to sleep, and they wake up, and the growth comes from God. And when the harvest comes, they reap, they take, make the most of the opportunity. They bring someone to faith, if you like. They bring them into his kingdom. So go scatter God's word far and wide, leaving the growth with God. And now we come to the last of our parables today. And I don't know if you can see... Next slide, thanks. Can anyone see this mustard seed? <laughs> no? Isn't that weird? Jesus talking about the kingdom of God as a mustard seed. Um, I mean, it's so tiny, I could throw it and I haven't got it in my hand anymore, but somewhere down there. Um, but isn't that strange? Imagine you, had, imagine you said to, say, Donald Trump and say, Donald Trump, your, your big empire, it's like a mustard seed. I mean, that would kind of be offensive, wouldn't it? I mean, his empire is massive, um, all the things that he owns and all that sort of stuff. Why would... So why would Jesus compare the kingdom of God, the almighty, heavenly, glorious, perfect kingdom of God to something so small and tiny and insignificant? Well, listen to the parable again. To what shall we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air perch in its shade. Do you see what Jesus is telling us here? He's telling us how the kingdom begins and how, what it will become. And how does Jesus come into this world and grow his kingdom? Well, a mustard seed is small, it is buried in the ground, and yet it grows. And what happens when Jesus came? Though he is the Son of God, he humbled himself to become one of us. He became small, 
very small. And then he became smaller still when we rejected him and crucified him and hung him on the cross. And then he became smaller still when we buried him in the ground and we thought he was dead and that was the end of his kingdom. But what did God do? He raised Jesus up from the grave and there was a resurrection. And from that resurrection, men and women, girls and boys, have come to put their faith in him who died and yet lived again. And from that Jesus who became so small, who we thought was nothing, God has brought about this incredible kingdom of God that is everlasting and will never end. A tree that is so great that people from all across the world, I mean, we're on the other side of the world here, people from all across the world will come and find refuge in the kingdom where Jesus is the king. Just imagine what it is going to be like when we go into God's glory and we look back and see how God worked to bring us into his kingdom. We're just going to be amazed. It's going to be beyond our imagining how God could take small things, flawed human beings like you and I, to spread his word far and wide, to make disciples of people, to be built up together. We are going to be in awe of God and what he has been able to do. You know, there's a, there's a hymn that ends with um, a line of being lost in wonder, love, and praise. I think on that day, we're going to be found in wonder, love, and praise. We'll see just how great Jesus is, how good he is, that he has brought us into his kingdom. Well, until that day comes, what should we do? Two things. Jesus is the sower who wants to include you in his kingdom. So make sure you've personally responded to the sower who has given you his word, that with him there is forgiveness of sins and life everlasting and so much more. So be included. And secondly, he wants you involved in growing his kingdom, which you now belong to to reflect his saving light onto others, to scatter his word far and wide and to leave the growth with God and to look forward to the great kingdom that he is bringing about. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, continue to give us these wonderful pictures of your kingdom from these parables. Uh, Pictures that show us how great you are and how humbling and wonderful it is that you should call us uh, to belong to you and to be part of your kingdom that you are growing. Lord, we do ask, as we've heard, you might help us to uh, rejoice in your salvation and to shine your truth to those around us. Continue to speak to us from your word and grow us, we pray as your disciples uh, who love you and who grow and who seek to make more disciples. Lord, we long for that day and in anticipation of it, uh, we want to live for that day. And we ask all this in your name. Amen.